0: song. Would you be seated, please? I believe in the name of Jesus. Wow. Wow. What's in the name? What's in the name? You know, we use language all the time, don't we? Words are an important part of our communication. They're not everything. Not everything. Uh, Thanks, Gita. Sometimes we communicate with body language. For example, you know exactly how I'm communicating if I go... Um, But words are an important part of communication. And words... Are very much tied to our culture, our time, you know, 2019. Words very much must be taken in the context in which they are said. For example, 50 years ago, my mother would have really laughed and rejoiced and she would have said, oh, I'm so gay today. Now, 50 years ago, that meant something. But it's different to what it means today. So you've got to look at the words in the context in which they are said. Likewise with Scripture. We cannot just read the words of Scripture and interpret them by our culture and our language today. If we want to really understand what God is saying in the word of Scripture, we have to read them in the context and the culture and the time at which they were written. Do you agree? I hope so. And so, today, I'm going to read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, and we're going to look... At these words that are written to get a picture of the context and the culture of that time and then having that understanding we will seek to apply some of those lessons to our life today that's why we have sermons from the Bible that's why we do Bible study regularly if we don't then we would read the Bible And we would say, oh, it's an old book. It doesn't relate to our life today. So we've got to do due diligence. Let's read from Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples, that is, Jesus' disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples of Jesus, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and Sinners. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Very, very important statement. Let me ask, let me begin by asking a question. What's in a name? We've sung a song about the name of Jesus and how beautiful the name of Jesus is. What's in a name? Why do we need names? I mean to say, Pastor Glenn, what is your name? It's a great Australian name, isn't it? Yes, of course. You live in Australia and your name is Bruce, yes. What other names do you have? (laughs) Glenn, okay. What does that mean? (laughs) Why were you named Glenn? Long story. Was it after a famous person? A musician? No? Okay. A family member? No? Just a, uh, someone that your, your mother or your father knew? Okay. <laughs> all right, we won't go further. <laughs> if you want to know why Pastor Glenn is called Glenn, ask him later on, but make sure you've got plenty of time. All right? <laughs> Who else would like to share? What is their name and why they were given that name? Yes? Uh it means gazelle. And ah. my grandfather gave it to me because it's an after person in the Bible. Ah. Which person was that? Uh,
1: the, the seamstress.
0: Yes. by Peter and John. That's right. Very good. Thank you, Dorcas. Gazelle. Gazelle is very lean and attractive and is has a lot of energy to jump and leap. Is that you? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> Someone else like to volunteer their name and what it means. And you don't have to do the Anglo names. If, you've, if you have a Chinese name, feel free. I'd like to hear that. Mui, come on. Come on, where does Mui come from? The name. Yes, yes, okay, so y- your name means intelligent and beautiful." very good. I like it. yeah. <laughs> We can have fun with names, can't we? Are names merely some arbitrary uh, title to distinguish us from everyone else? Or is there more in a name than we give credit? For example, my name is Bruce, and it comes from the uh, Scottish meaning mighty warrior, not warrior but warrior, mighty fighter, the name Jesus. Actually, Jesus was never called Jesus. Jesus is the um, rendering, the Anglo rendering of Jesus' real name. His Aramaic name was Yeshua. And that's from the Anglicized of Joshua. And Yeshua means he who saves. When parents have children, um, you are given in Australia three months to give that child a name. If you don't, then the government will apportion a name to your child. And aren't we glad that they actually still do a name and not just a number? (laughs) Though my name is Bruce Roberts, my family name is Roberts, uh, from the son of Robert. That's what it means. Roberts comes from the son of Robert. Um, and I have some numbers. I have been assigned some numbers. I have a bank account number. It is... No, I won't tell you. I have a passport number. I have a driver's licence number. And now that I'm retired, I have a Centrelink number. You've got to have a Centrelink number to get a pension. So. <laughs> I missed that. Oh, that's the best number! (laughs) Yeah, that's the one that means something! (laughs) Names have meaning, and they are given often to us to acknowledge something special. It might be a special place. It might be an attribute, like mighty warrior. Or it may be to convey a message. We may be named in order to convey a message. For example, In the Old Testament, Uh, do you know the name Lo-Ami? I like that name. It sounds nice, doesn't it? Lo-Ami. But Lo-Ami actually was the second son of Hosea, the prophet. And Hosea was asked by God to prophesy against the people of Israel because of their sinfulness, to prophesy judgment. And so when Hosea's second son was born, he called him lo which means not my people. And every time lo walked along the street, the people would say, oh, that's Hosea's son, not my people. He's, he's preaching against us. I think that was a bit unfair on the child, but in those days, what else could a prophet do if the people weren't listening? The name was given as a prophetic message to the nation of Israel. And how many of us have been named to honour a relative, like an aunt, an uncle, a grandmother or a grandfather? My middle name is after my grandfather on my father's side. His name was Frederick Roberts. And so I bear his name in honour and recognition of him. Anyone else who bears the name of a grandparent or great grandparent? I'm the. Oh, thanks, Brian. I thought I was the only one then. To be sure, names can be very important in what they say about us as a person or the message that they convey. And it may be a message of honour or it may be a message of judgement, as in the case of Loami. What about the name of the person of Matthew that we read about today? What about his name? The calling of Matthew is recorded for us not only in the passage we read in Matthew chapter 9, but also in Mark chapter 2 and Luke chapter 5. And although Mark and Luke use a different name, that is Levi, thank you, though Mark and Luke use the name Levi, it's obvious that the accounts in in the three Gospels all refer to the same individual because the context of all three records is the same. So Matthew is Levi. Levi is Matthew. But why the two names? Why the two names? My father-in-law is known as Bruce Edwards, but that's actually not his name. When he was named at his birth, he was given the name Alan. His name, his full name, is actually Alan Bruce Edwards, but everybody calls him Bruce. Bruce. Sometimes we have more than one name. Anybody here like that? Okay. Would well, you want to share or would you rather not? you like to share, Caroline? Yeah. That's right, yes. And making bank accounts. Um, In schools, how many of you ever were given a nickname? I was. Um, I don't know why, but I got the nickname Stretch. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's just the way kids are. So, so much for names. Matthew was also known by some as Levi. And from these records, we discover that before Matthew became a disciple of the Lord Jesus, he worked as a tax collector in the town of Capernaum. And as was known, and was also known as the son of Elpheus. Now, as I said, my name is Roberts, that's my family name, which going back three or four hundred years in, in England would have been son of Robert. So I would have been Bruce, son of Robert. They've shortened it to Bruce Robertson and then Bruce Roberts. That's what the English did. Matthew was known as Matthew or Levi Bar-Elpheus because in Aramaic, Bar means son of. Okay. So in the gospel records when Jesus was arrested put before Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate brought another man out and said, "Who will I release for you? This Yeshua or this Barabbas?" So, what does Barabbas mean? Ba means son of, and Abba means father. There was Jesus, the heavenly son of the father, being held up against this Barabbas, this son of the father, the earthly son of the father. And that was the choice that people had to make. Interesting play on names, isn't it? As we consider these records, a question that naturally comes to mind. Why is there a difference in the name of this man, Matthew or Levi? Well, in biblical times, it was not uncommon for a person to be known by different names, especially after they had had an encounter with God. Take, for example, Abram in the book of Genesis. He became known as Abraham. And what about Jacob, who became known as Israel? Simon, who became known as Peter? And of course Saul, who was called Paul. It's been suggested that the name Matthew was a name that was actually given to him by the Lord Jesus himself especially when we consider that the name Matthew means gift of God. Matthew became a wonderful gift to God in his ongoing life and service for the Lord because he accepted the invitation of the Lord Jesus to follow him. Earlier, I revealed that Matthew had been a tax collector And in those days, tax collectors were absolutely despised by their own culture as traitors. You see, they were seen by many, especially the religious elite, as very sinful people, so sinful that even spending time with them would immediately tarnish a good person's reputation. Matthew 9, 10 to 11 is your reference there. Sinful people. You associate with that, you become sinful as well. Sin by association. You see, these Jewish collectors, tax collectors, actually worked for the Roman government. It was seen as betrayal. You were taking Jewish money and giving it to the Romans. You are betraying your own people. And also these tax collectors usually enrich themselves by dishonestly collecting excessive taxes from their own people. As such, it is most likely that Matthew was rather well-to-do, a fact evidenced by Luke's record that Matthew, or Levi, Hosted a great feast with little notice. Now we need to bear in mind that as we read Matthew's record, it was Matthew talking about himself. In our scripture reading, it was Matthew giving his own testimony, saying, This is who I was. I was a tax collector for the Romans. I was despised and I was hated by my own people. And Jesus came one day and he simply issued two words to me. He said, follow me. And then Matthew, in his own words, said, so I got up and I left my tax office and I followed Jesus. Not only that, I then held a banquet at short notice for him. And I think it fascinating that when the Lord Jesus first encountered Matthew at his tax office, the first words of the Lord Jesus to Matthew were simply this, follow me. It's obvious that the Lord Jesus did not mince his words. He didn't try to win people over with flattery or with expressions of false friendship. Jesus didn't try to ingratiate himself to Matthew. He didn't play games as people are so wont to do today. Jesus was upfront. He looked at Matthew and he said, Follow me. I've got a job for you. You follow me. Come on. The Lord Jesus simply gave people a very clear and unambiguous invitation, and he left it up to the person to make the decision regarding their own future life direction. That's the way Jesus operated. And it wasn't only with Matthew. There was another rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, okay, you want to follow God's way for your life? Then sell all you have And you come and follow me. Jesus didn't say, oh, you're wealthy. Oh, well, God can use you. Oh, let me be your friend, you know. No. Jesus said, sell everything you have. Your money is your biggest problem in life. You're not happy. It's because of your money. That's your issue. So sell all you have, follow me. And what did the young man do? He walked away. And Jesus did not chase him. Jesus did not chase him. He didn't go up to him and say, hold on a minute, maybe that was a bit too hard. Let's negotiate here. I'll make it a little bit easier for you. That's not Jesus' way. And it should not be our way at all. When communicating the gospel, we don't compromise with it. We simply say it as it is and let people make their own life choice. In verse 9, we have Matthew's response. This was his response. He wrote this about himself in the third person. So he arose and followed him. He arose and followed him. To demonstrate his honour for the Lord Jesus... Matthew hosted a meal for many of his colleagues and friends. Why on earth would you do that? If you are leaving that life as a tax collector, as an outcast in in, uh, Jewish society, as someone who's been known to be associating with sinners all the time, corrupted people, if you're leaving that lifestyle in order to follow Jesus, why are you hosting a banquet and inviting all your former friends. Why would you do that? You've got to understand the context in which Matthew is writing here. You see, Matthew wanted an opportunity to give public testimony of his new relationship with the Lord Jesus. He couldn't give testimony of how God had changed his life to everybody else, but he could give it to those who were outcasts like him. That's why he hosted that meal. That's why he invited the friends. It was so that he could say, listen, this Jesus has transformed my life. I'm following him now and I want you to meet him because he can change and transform your life as well. When you first became a follower of Jesus yourself, what was your attitude? Was it something very private, very personal? I'm a follower of Jesus now, but you didn't tell your workmates, you didn't tell your family, because they might react against you, you might have lost your job. They might not like you anymore. They might call you names. It's not what Matthew did. Matthew did not care what people might say or do to him. He was more interested in telling people about Jesus. He hosted a meal, which is very, very Middle Eastern as it is Asian, isn't it? So much happens around the meal table. Give people food and you earn the right to speak. It would seem that a large number of people attended this meal, many of them sinners and outcasts just like Matthew himself. And not only that, we read how the religious leaders stood nearby to watch everything that was going on. You know, these people all the time pointing the finger. Oh, they're sinners. You don't want to stay near them, but I'm going to watch them And these Pharisees were hanging around like a bad smell, looking at how they could point the finger of accusation. Was it an attempt to vilify and intimidate the gathering? I reckon so. I reckon so. And was it an attempt to find fault and discredit the Lord Jesus? Absolutely They could say to others, Oh, look at that Jesus. He's associating with sinners and outcasts. He's a sinner. You don't want to take any notice of his message. Don't listen to him. Listen to us because we're righteous and we're wonderful. During the meal, these religious leaders also questioned the disciples of Jesus. They asked, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is Jesus associating with those people? And Jesus' response is one of the clearest examples of God's heart and the gospel message to all mankind. Jesus said these words, those who are well, have no need of a doctor. But those who are sick, they do. Jesus was taking a situation that everybody could identify with. If you're well, do you go to the doctor? No. If you're sick, do you go to the doctor? Of course you do. And Jesus was relating this very personal life situation of whether you go to a doctor or not to also our spiritual condition before God. Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I did not come to call those who are sick spiritually, but those who are sick in order to heal them. That's basically what Jesus was saying in these words. And in this statement of the Lord's, we have a very clear mandate of the true mission of God's church. This is our God-given manifesto. Whatever else we may say or do as a church, as followers, as disciples of the Lord Jesus, our life's direction is to encourage all people to acknowledge their true condition before God. Are you sick or are you well, spiritually? Their need of Him for healing and wholeness. Do you need God in your life? And that all hope for the future is based on everyone coming to the Lord with a truly repentant heart. Only Jesus can do this true healing that's required. The Lord Jesus also predicated his response with the statement, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And that was said to the Pharisees because it was the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were responsible for the administration of the sacrifices in the temple. Brothers and sisters, as we begin this new year of 2019, shouldn't these words of the Lord Jesus be inscribed in our hearts and minds and form the basis of all of our prayers for the world around us, for the community in which we live and work and the church and all its ministries. The words of the Lord Jesus are our mandate. These words of the Lord Jesus reveal His primary mission. And time and time again, the Lord Jesus revealed that He Came not to save those who are good people, those who are self righteous. He came to save those who know they are not good and those who have a deep need for the presence of God in their lives. I hear a lot of people over the years say to me things like, Oh, you're a minister. Oh, I I don't need to go to church. I'm a good person. Yeah. Yeah, well. Um, Yeah. What you're saying is that you are self righteous. There is no place for God in your life. I go to church because I know I'm not good enough, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that before God, his standards are so much higher than anything I could attain in my own strength. I need him every day. The Lord Jesus came to save those who freely admit that their lives do not come up to God's standards and that they are in need of his salvation. We only need to look at the teachings of the Lord Jesus in what we know as the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 and Luke 6. The blessings of God on those who are broken, on those who are poor and needy and downcast, those who have a sense of helplessness, the blessings of God are for them because it is is for them that he will bring restoration and wholeness. Also, as we study the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus, we see that many of his followers were among the poor, the rejected, the sick, the sinful, the weary and the lonely. The Lord Jesus never condemned these people. He forgave them and he encouraged them in how they could live a truly God-honouring life. The woman who was caught in adultery and there were all those gathered around willing and ready to, to stone her I find that an interesting passage because if she was, commi- if she was accused of adultery, I always understood it too to, to tango. Where was the man? Where was he? If she was caught in adultery, he must have been caught as well. Jesus did not condemn her. He rescued her. And then he gave her the choice. You've got a second chance in your life. Choose wisely. By contrast, his, Jesus' harshest condemnations were directed to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And the scribes who thought themselves good, worthy, spiritually superior, and better than the tax collectors and the sinners around them. Matthew was one of those whom the Lord Jesus called and saved. Matthew had the spiritually terminal illness called sin. And he offered Matthew a heavenly cure. When called by the Lord Jesus to follow him, Matthew recognized this and he immediately left his tax collection booth and he followed the Lord. He left behind the source of his riches. He left behind his position of security and comfort in order to live as an itinerant. He left his old life for a new life with Jesus and accepted all the difficulties that would follow, including eventual martyrdom. For Matthew, the new life in Jesus was worth far more than anything that he had before. Brothers and sisters, all of us are no different from Matthew and all the disciples of the Lord Jesus. Like them, we were all suffering the effects of the spiritual terminal illness called sin. And it is a terminal illness. There is only one cure for that sin, for that illness of sin, and that is God's forgiveness. If you do not have God's forgiveness in your life, then that terminal illness will go to its natural conclusion. Like the disciples of Jesus, we have heard and responded to the call of the Lord and experienced God's forgiveness and divine healing. The challenge before us all is the reality of the sickness and death that still holds many within its grasp in the world and the community around us. There are so many people. We see them every day. And they are dying in their sin. Many of them have never heard that there is a cure. To be sure, through the generations, sin. Shame and disobedience against God has taken a terrible toll in the lives of so many. To be sure, we live and work in the midst of spiritual sickness and decay. It's like an epidemic. And the only sure cure is the divine forgiveness that can only be offered through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why Jesus went to the cross of Calvary to bear all the sickness of our sin and shame. The cross is an ever-present reminder of the cost that God has paid that we might be made whole and well. As we read in Isaiah chapter 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Hallelujah! Because he submitted himself to the cross of Calvary for our sin, we are healed. Of course, the way to true spiritual healing and wholeness is predicated on how we choose to respond to the Lord Jesus and his call. For those who choose to ignore or reject him, the ravages of the disease of sin will eventually consume them. For those who acknowledge that their lives are not what they should be and come to him in true repentance, they will find healing for their soul. Hear again the words of the Lord Jesus. Those who are well have no need of a doctor. Those who are good, those who are self-righteous, they have no need of a healer. Only those who are sick. Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous the good. came to call sinners to repentance. As the Lord Jesus declared in verse 3, 13, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Make no mistake, the religious rituals and sacrifices that many seek to do cannot save, heal or cure anyone. And these sacrifices can come in many different forms. In the days of Jesus, it was the sacrifice of doves or sheep or goats or bulls. Today, people make all manner of different sacrifices, all in the name of religion. It may be giving money all the time to the church, thinking that that's going to earn them their salvation doesn't. It doesn't. Your generosity does not save you. Let your generosity to God come out of the fact that he has saved you. Some people I, I saw numerous times years ago in China, in Buddhist temples, there were men, women and children and they would stand, and they would fall flat on their face. They would reach their arm out and mark their the finger in the dust. They would get up, they would walk to that mark. They would stand there, they would fall flat on their face. They would reach out, mark in the dust. They would get up, they would stand to that point, and they would go around the whole temple like that, thinking that that sacrifice would earn them Needless to say, after 30, 40 times of falling flat on your face, guess, guess what their knees and their shoulders and their faces looked like. It wasn't pretty. And we saw young girls of 12 and 13 years of age doing this, thinking it earned them merit. True salvation can only be found in a vital living relationship with the Lord Jesus and an openness and an honesty in prayer is the basis of any relationship that we may have with him. Personal communication. That's what prayer is. It's not a mantra. Brothers and sisters, how many people do you know whose lives are riddled with unresolved troubles and problems, seemingly insurmountable heartaches and sadness, all consuming jealousies and a sense of unfulfillment. All these issues are merely symptoms of the deeper chronic spiritual cancer that consumes so many lives today. We need to be earnest in prayer for these people as we lift them up before the throne of God in prayer. We need to cover them in loving prayer because the only enduring cure is the Lord Jesus himself, the great healer, the great physician. Instead of a tablet, the Lord comes with mercy. Instead of an injection, the Lord comes with forgiveness. Instead of an operation, the Lord comes with everlasting hope. We have a job to do in relation to the cancer of sin that has so infected our world today. We have a job of praying for opportunities to introduce to people the only one who can bring wellness and wholeness to the innermost parts of our being. Introduce them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the Lord Jesus turned Matthew's life from one of corruption and greed to one of blessing and joy, so may we see the Lord Jesus Heal and transform the lives of many more in this year of 2019. Let this be our prayer as we step up and as we step out for the Lord. You know, we're back to our split services. It was lovely being all together, a little bit cramped, but it was lovely, wasn't it? But it's a blessing that we now have our two services again. Do you know why? Because there are some empty seats. (laughs) They are a blessing because we now have room in which to invite friends and neighbours and they will be able to have a seat instead of standing up the back. We've got a job to do. It's 2019, we've had our holiday, we've had our rest. We're now back in the saddle with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the challenge of your word. We thank you for the words of Jesus that really strike home to us. Exactly how you would have us behave, think and live today. Lord God, we have heard your word this morning. We pray that your spirit will bring conviction to our lives in a way that will enable us, Lord, to do mighty things for God. We thank you and we praise you that you have entrusted us with this mission. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a song and it is about the power of the love of jesus let's stand and sing
1: <laughs> Lord, I come to- My spirit.
0: with a word of benediction but today I'd like you to be the benediction I'd like you to reach out to those who are either side of you in front or behind extend to them a hand of friendship and pronounce a blessing on that person it may be something like may the Lord bless and enrich your life this week It may be, may the joy of the Lord fill your heart. Whatever the Lord would give to you to say to them, you be the benediction for today as we close in this time of worship. Would you do that, please?